be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by a law firm of Hutz, Green, and Fazio. Have you been in an accident? Have you seen an accident? Have you even heard of the word accident? then we at Hutz, Green, and Fazio want to hear from you. Whether it's social media trauma, ideological whiplash, or just post-irritation stress disorder, if something's bothering you, then somebody somewhere needs to be sued. And if you're in legal trouble, you need us. Whether you're accused of keeping classified information on your home private server or killing your wife and a waiter, we're ready to defend you in the courts of law and public opinion. And we'll guarantee a victory in at least one of them. Hutz, Green, and Fazio. For when you really need to get off. <laughs> I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the special midwinter nostalgia edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, have you dug out yet? Uh, slowly we are digging out. We saw our very first plows um, just last evening, and um, they're very loud. But basically, again, Virginia is going with the traditional snow removal application, which is waiting for the sun to come out. <laughs> I did, however, at least get the chance to like go out and play a little bit in the snow. Did you take the kids out? I saw some pictures on Facebook. Oh yeah. Now here's the thing. Up in here in Authenticity Woods, uh, you know, these these snows, you know, started around one o'clock Friday, ended late Saturday, early Sunday morning. We are taping this on a Wednesday. The kids haven't been back to school yet. It's been above freezing since Sunday, and they still haven't brought reopened the school. They're going to keep the schools closed until May, Mickey. <laughs> I believe we had similar conversations about this um, last year. And it's funny because you sound so very similar to all of my other friends who have school-age children who basically just want them to go back to school. For perspective, Mickey, um, in the, my kids have been to school once in the past 12 days. <laughs> that's not right. As a parent, that that's just wrong. Like that's Christmas just wrong. Yes. Now, you know, one of them was Martin Luther King Day. One of them was a teacher training day. And I keep, first of all, I thought teachers knew how to do their jobs. They, they seem to be doing a pretty good job as is. So I understand why they need the separate, you know, teacher training day. Oh, you're well, talking you about know, the least, like, in-service days that they have? Yeah. You know, if you must have them, don't have them in the middle of winter when you're likely to have snow days in between, <laughs> right? I mean, just, you know, there's plenty of other days in the calendar where you're not likely to have cancellation because of snow, but no. Well, of course, we both live in Virginia, but we basically live in two different states. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. And so, you know, the you're snow... You're in Confederate Virginia. I'm in uh, Union Virginia. <laughs> well, I'm in Virginia, and you're in... Northern yeah. Virginia. So you, you are, you are, uh, which in, is uh, different. And and there will be people that you know that live here. I've, we've discussed the NCIS, um, uh, you know, as far as geography and how you get around. But Virginia is a very large state, and um, and it is not at all prepared for snow ever. Like even though we know we're going to get at least one big yeah. snow a year, 
Nothing. Never. Not happening. The government shuts down. The city shut down. Our kids probably won't be back to school till maybe next week at this yeah. point. I was going to say, you make the point that yeah, you are in real Virginia. Uh, I am in Washington, D.C. West, basically. Yes. But can, uh, what, what strikes me, and it, I've, I've seen this, I remember back, I came to the D.C. area back in 1993, uh, January 1994, we had Martin Luther King Week at our college because um, <laughs> one good ice storm in the whole city was a jelly donut, uh, so it, was a, it was a glazed donut, just completely covered in ice, and nobody could get around anywhere. They canceled a jelly donut all. would be a whole different story. That would be delicious. Um, <laughs> we, had, yeah, we, were, we were all Berliners, you could say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, talk about a it political inside joke. Jokes that you only get on <laughs> um, But the gist being that you would think this area never got snow based on how utterly unprepared it is every single winter. But we get at least one big snowstorm a year. Some years you'll get none. Some years you get a couple of them. But like you, you would think we were like Florida. Right. Snow, you know. They act like we're Florida. Like, oh, my God, it snowed. It's like, well, we get a snow about once a year. And it, it's very frustrating to see them completely fail epically at it every single year. Um, one of the things I found interesting, there were a lot of people who decided, I guess, to go, you know, kind of rogue, if you will, um, to forgive a term, because there was a guy who was actually in downtown Richmond in several different areas that were helping people who got stuck and and helping them out. And these are private citizens that just got out in the road and said, you know, screw it. I'm going to do it myself. That's what happens in my neighborhood. Um, I don't know that my neighborhood has ever been actually taken care of by the state. Um, it's supposed to be part of a state-maintained road. It never gets hit. So people within the neighborhood always take care of it. Well, I want you all to know down here in Texas, we've been seeing a lot of snow. And uh, we have a lot of sympathy for you folks on the East Coast, there's been snow on every TV screen I've seen, on a lot of computer monitors. I've seen snow everywhere I looked, and it's really kind of <laughs> it's kind of yeah. it's kind of a heavy load to bear. <laughs> for me, I just you know at this point I look outside my studio window and oh there it is still there. Um, however, I will say this: being that it is Virginia, um, the 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 snow removal system of the sun is working. As Jim said, you know, we're starting to see the meltdown, et cetera. But in this particular case, it was not a one or two inch deal. Uh, we legitimately, I think at our house, got roughly between 18 and 20 inches of snow um, within a 24-hour period. Um, so, you know, we legitimately, you know, had a real live blizzard, apparently one that's technically an actual blizzard for you weather geeks out there. Um, it meant the right velocity, speed, and precipitation as we needed it to. So blizzard it was. Congratulations, everyone. And even though we were in the middle of a blizzard, um, you, Jim Garrity, managed to actually manage to get into and out of D.C. so that your beautiful face could be on CNN. Yeah, that was a credit to uh, the Metro not shut it, shutting down uh, in too, hard, too far in advance of the storm. Um, now I, I was going to say, I, no, I've tried to, to get through this time period without you know, strangling the children and uh, uh, trying to get work done. I, I have not had a chance to watch um, 
any good television. Uh, Mickey, have you heard anything good about any, oh, I don't know, you know, former football players accused of killing their wives and waiters? And, uh, <laughs> lots of big stars. Any, any Kardashian aspect that might appeal to, uh, to people out there? Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me um, on many levels. As you know, the O.J. Simpson story is being retold again. Um, and I was actually given the opportunity this week to be on TMZ to discuss this particular television movie that's coming out. And of course, my first critique is I don't see Cuba as OJ, like at all. And, um, the, the FX series is actually called the people versus OJ Simpson. And, this particular series, as I said, I got the opportunity to discuss it on TMZ yesterday. And like I said, I, I have trouble with it because I have read so many books on it. I have you know, studied this case. However, Harvey Levin guaranteed me that, and of course he has done the same, guaranteed me and all of those that were listening that from what he's heard from both the writers, the directors, and the early screenings, this is a story that we have not been told or seen yet, and it's going to be really entertaining and worthwhile. I, I am intrigued by it, and, and I think it's funny because this is now 20 years, Mickey, 21, 22 mm. now? 21 plus. Uh, yeah, something like that. I remember yeah, getting it was right before my birthday. I remember getting fast food for lunch when I was doing a radio morning show. Every day I get out of the show, go get the food, sit in the car, and turn on the radio because the local news station was carrying the trial live. And I don't know, did I do that for a month, six weeks? It was like every day the same. I couldn't yeah. stay away from the trial. Pretty much oh, yeah. the entirety of 1994 <laughs> was eaten by the O.J. Simpson trial. The entire news cycle, everything. And I think you look back on it, and it really feels like a turning point in America. Um, you, I, I think that it, it ratcheted up uh, people's cynicism uh, about the legal system, about law enforcement. I think it was undoubtedly bad news for race relations. Um, I think it was really a good uh, example of if you feel like things have gone wrong in the past 20 years, this and the mockery it made of the legal system um, – I think I think this was a, a key accelerant. This poured gasoline on the fire. I think it's also I, interesting to note, as you said, the Kardashian connection. We now have obviously keeping up with the Kardashians, and Faye Resnick has her own show, and Kato Kalin's still around. And you know, it's going to be interesting seeing these people as the characters and the people they were twenty plus years ago. A, a good example of that phenomenon. Um, I want to say was it Casey Anthony? One of those cases where Kim Kardashian. Uh, expressed surprise that a jury could get it so wrong, and you know how how do these people get off when when the evidence is so crisp, so obvious and clear? Mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian, <laughs> it's like guys like your father. That's that's why. <laughs> like, you know, do you do you have any familiarity with your father and what he did for a living? And how, like you know, I don't think that, that much. <laughs> You know, I, I, I found it, you know, on the one hand, the irony is really good. But the other thing also was fascinating was I feel like somewhere around OJ, Robert Wool used to do this joke. He's like, oh, yeah, I made a lot of money on that, on that verdict. I bet heavily on acquittal. <laughs> uh, L.A. prosecutors, they haven't prosecuted anybody since Manson. <laughs> um, and, and there kind of was this sense that there, pre-1994, uh, your average American, and maybe I'm thinking middle-class white American, maybe I'm projecting my... Uh, my environment and, and peers onto this. But your, your thing is, well, okay, in the court system, justice is usually done. 
And I think watching that sensationalized, over-the-top circus uh, administered by Lance Judge Lance Ito and the Dancing <laughs> Itos on the Jay Leno show. <laughs> like, Who can I mean, forget? You're, you're, at this point, it was just so wild and over-the-top um, that we saw, oh, this is what can happen in a courtroom. There isn't necessarily decorum. There isn't necessarily clarity. There isn't necessarily truth. And you walk away from that saying, aha, that's how the big-name lawyers can win. They can make the obvious seem confusing. They can plant that seed of doubt, and that's all it takes. Prosecutors can completely stop. I'll be very curious about how they portray the, the prosecutors. I, I, I'm, yeah, that's part of what I want to see as well, as well as kind of the interdynamics of the, quote, dream team, because obviously the, they never spoke again. The promos make the lawyers out to be basket cases. I kind of get the impression they all were. Um, but but again, um, this to me anyway was one of those times where, you know, at that point I was actually studying criminology along with some other things. And I was really into, as I still am, true crime, as you can imagine, really into the trial, really into the details. As I said, I read a lot of books on it. And one of the things that has has become kind of my go-to when discussing these, quote, controversial cases. Nine times out of ten, if a case is unsolved, it is because the police messed up the investigation in the first place. They rushed to judgment that became so popular during that O.J. Simpson trial and the courtroom and the period was something that we're now finding out was used in many other cases, including like obviously we've talked about the Steve Avery case where he was, you know, acquitted for rape and et cetera before. There are other names I could give you, um, Andrew Ferguson and others that have been acquitted after being found guilty. Um, and I think when watching the the entire O. J. Simpson trial, if if you look at the situation, I'm going to say this before we roll into the next segment um, of, you know, how things kind of get better on TV, I guess, sometimes <laughs> the second season. Things didn't get better for O.J. Simpson, even though he was found not guilty. Um, they, they, they proceeded to get worse in his life. And I think that, you know, there was enough doubt created in my mind based on the conduct of the LAPD Mark Furman, and more importantly, I mean, it, when looking at a murder this savage and with the, this much going on, it is very rare for them to be able to be willing to put forth a an arrest warrant in the short period of time. Uh, I tend to be a little more leery of the police since then, and... Um, and I'll just say this so that I'll get all the hate mail and we can stop talking about it. I'm probably one of the few people in the country who believe the jury got it right. Wow. You and know, that I, is based not on anything other than what they were presented with and having to have the burden of proof on the prosecution. That burden was not met, in my opinion. Rodney King concurs. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to observe that uh, I, looking back, um, it, Mark Furman gave America a look at the police that I think, um, they were either, they weren't ready for, or they never expected. 
And I, I, I'm hoping that somewhere in this miniseries, they look at Furman and the kind of you know repugnant comments he made and the kind of frightening attitude he demonstrated. And somebody says, God, there's just such distrust between law enforcement and the African-American community. Maybe in 20 years, they'll have it all straightened out. Ha! <laughs> we'll be discussing television shows that improved right after this. Any place, any time is a good time for coke. Lawrence Taylor denies any involvement in this. Mr. Whipple, please don't squeeze the Charmin. New squeezably soft Charmin bathroom tissue from Procter & Gamble. Take it home and squeeze it. It's been a really exciting week for those who have been waiting patiently. The sci-fi community has been all in arms. Not Twin Peaks yet, but instead, X-Files. It has finally returned after all of these times to find out if the truth is really out there. And Jim, is it? The verdict is in, Mickey, and the answer is, nah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was, no, then... I, I, Tell you this, like, I, I started losing interest halfway through the first episode. I, I, I really, um, when, when they announced they were bringing it back, you and I had had our conversation about mm-hmm. whether the concept was too dated, whether it had so perfectly captured that mid-90s atmosphere of paranoia, yes. the era of Oklahoma City and the militias and uh, uh, Hale-Bopp Comet cult and all that pre-millennial hysteria. Uh, could it work in the world of 2015, 2016? I think the answer is no. Um, oh. I, 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 first of all, I was struck by the beginning depicted the crash in Roswell mm-hmm. in 1947, and it just seemed this is exactly the kind of stuff they did with the old stuff with the old show. Mm. It, it felt uh, you could say in some ways it felt timeless. It felt like they didn't skip a beat. On the other hand, in the world we're living in today, right? The world of Ebola, <laughs> the world of uh, NSA domestic they, they did a little bit of talk about NSA spying they meant you know some really trite bush bashing Iraq war stuff it, it, it did not feel fresh at all and it really felt like reheated leftovers and I was um, I, I haven't watched the second one I, 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 it's, I know it's, you're going to be shocked by this um, I didn't watch it <laughs> however <laughs> I did watch people's reaction to it both on Twitter and other social media as well as you know I part of what I do is I watch these pop culture shows as well and the reaction was very interesting and mixed in the sense that I feel like I I did hear a lot of it felt very dated Um, I felt conservatives and Republicans in general extremely turned off very early on Um, I don't know what happened I just know that something happened it made people very angry um, which is never a good start. Um, but then it was weird because by the end, people seem to have been like, but I'm probably going to go ahead and watch one more because there's only like six episodes. Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, but a lot of these revivals, if they're short, you're just happy to see the actors again. You're happy to see them playing the roles again. Did they um, start I, a story arc in which, you know, they can then close it up in six episodes? Well, closing up story arcs has never been the strength of the X-Files. That's, you know, that's probably been one of their weakest points. Um, you know, the aliens have a plan, but the showrunners don't. Uh, was kind of <laughs> the, the original run. I mean, this way, let, let me give you the, the, the flip side of that. As, as disappointed as I was with X-Files, mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised with Agent Carter. Now, as I say that name, does that ring any bells for you at all, Mickey? Uh, she, it's a chick, right? 
Yes. She's the English okay. girlfriend of Iron me. Man. Look at me. I came up with that much. There we go. She's the Iron Man girlfriend in the first movie. Close. She was Captain America's girlfriend. Oh, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. I had Captain oh, America oh, in my brain. And, like ultra tough British spy. Yep. Uh, fighting during World War II. Captain ends up in a really, you know, involved with Captain America. And Marvel said, we're going to do a whole series about her as kind of this, you know, tough super spy going on in the 1940s, dealing with, you know, mad scientists and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, so last year they, they debut it. It's a limited series. I think it had like seven episodes. And I really didn't like it last time, Mickey. And I could lay out a whole bunch, but I think just the, the single clearest reason was they decided very early on to emphasize the idea that she's a woman in a man's world Oof. and the men won't let her forget it. Oh. And here's gets the, tired. Yeah, I mean, like you, you could do that. You could play it for laughs, right? Like you could see the humor that the, the toughest character on the show is a woman, and all the men around her are constantly underestimating her. Right. But it really felt very heavy-handed. Very, you know, wasn't this a you know heavy-handed feminism in a show right. that's supposed to be about celebrating this strong, fearless, terrific character? And for a show, it was very, it was very dark. There was a quasi-suicide bomber. It was, it was just constantly this, you know. Uh, grim and gritty and nothing like the Captain America movie. Mm. So they bring it back this year. They say the show is taking place out in Los Angeles. And you know what's really fantastic about this, David Mickey? They suddenly realize that a show set in the 1940s inspired by the Captain America movie could be fun. Oh. (laughs) You could have fun with the fashions of the time. It's it's like every other character, every character has suddenly realized, hey, wait a minute. This is supposed to be a fun show. The writers had a meeting with the big upturn. The writers had a meeting with the boss and the boss said, you're going to make this fun or you'll never work in this town again. Exactly. They got a new showrunner. They got new writers. Like, the characters are cracking jokes. The characters are smiling. Like, you know, if I wonder if it's like almost just subliminable that if your characters and the actors look like they're having a good time on the screen, the audience will feel like they're having a good time on the screen. What a oh, absolutely. That's the atmosphere is created by those that create the media. Um, my question is maybe – um, or suggestion, I guess, is that maybe the first run, because it was a limited series, were all shot at one time, so the adjustments weren't made until after that series was over. Because a lot of times you'll see a movie where there's a pilot shot, then they get six weeks, and then after that six weeks they get picked up. And that's where you'll see changes, like from pilot to second episode, there's always a change. And then right around week six to week seven, there's usually some character changing as well, <laughs> and and some attitudes can be adjusted as needed. It, it so feels maybe like, that yeah. was part of it. It's like Sheldon uh, Cooper's say, new haircut after every season. <laughs> that that probably helps, um, <laughs> but I think the entire tone of it changed. And I don't know if it went from, you know, at some point this this philosophy of the creative team. We need to emphasize how hard it was to be a woman in 1947 and, you know, working in a man's world. Uh, women, you know, Rosie the Riveter being sent back to become a housewife. And you can do some very interesting sociology with that, but that's not what we're tuning in to a show for. Yeah, that's not. And really in this one, it's just like, no, no, here's this female character who's running rings around all the men around her. And isn't that awesome? And isn't that fun? And isn't it, you know, isn't she great because of that? And that kind of makes it, and, and after a while, you have one or two of the, the male characters starting to appreciate this mm. and starting to realize what a great, you know, uh, tough character she is and how she's always one step ahead of the bad guys and stuff like that. So it, it was, you know, um, last year the show was a show I wanted to like and just found myself not liking it at all. Um, 
And I'd say again, like also maybe it's look, it's maybe it's we're just due for a comic book character. By the way, for the irony is that there's no superheroes in this. There's just there's her, some yes. mad scientist, you know, super science sci-fi concepts in it. So, but there's nobody's running around in costumes. There's no Stark um, laboratories or anything. Yeah, the Star- Tony Stark's father is a, a kind of a major supporting character. Okay. The, the, the butler. I is have there. news for you guys. Uh? I watched Lucifer. <sighs> How was that? I've been hearing people raving about it, which kind of surprised it me. It was fantastic. Okay. It was probably one of the best news shows that I've seen in a while. Now, it has the feel of a procedural mm-hmm. um, with the twist of kind of comic book meets Charmed. Okay. Or any of the other like supernatural type, you know, shows as well because it has that supernatural twist to it. But really well written, exceptionally well casted. Um, and, I, you know, I found myself both laughing at it and, and having like thought moments while watching it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I really enjoyed the pilot. I'm looking forward to the second episode of that. And I thought I would share and surprise you both because, you know, I never watch those kind of things. No, that's good. So uh, the concept is the devil comes to L.A. to be a detective, basically? Well, the gist of it is the devil's son is Lucifer. Ah, okay. And he escapes from hell. And we don't know all the details yet. Like, it's very, like, that's kind of part of the mystery as it unravels because he gets visitors, we'll say, from his father who want him to come home. Mm. And he does not want to come home. And when he's on Earth, he is starting to transition into feeling and doing things that are more human-like and more altruistic with his powers. And so, it's 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 like I said, it's a really interesting concept. I'm gonna catch the next episode of it, and um, I, I like I said, I found it fascinating. Kind of a hornless Hellboy. Yeah, a little bit. And like, you know, and definitely like if you're into British accents and <laughs> that particular look, I mean, he, he definitely nails it for the ladies as well. So Of course the devil is British. Exactly, right? Everyone in the um, universe is British. Just watch any episode of Doctor Who. Well, I will tell you straight up, they had me from the minute the show started because I'm a girl who thinks that the soundtrack sets the tone for a show like mm-hmm. and a movie when a movie starts or a show starts whatever music is playing generally lets me know right away whether or not i'm going to like this or hate it and in this particular case it opened with um the song there ain't no rest for the wicked <laughs> which i thought was awesome and then he goes into a club and the first song that comes on is fame by david bowie oh yeah <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm in. Like, I, they got me on that alone. So, um, yeah, so I'll definitely be watching that again. Um, really interested to hear more about the show that's coming out um, on the BBC. It's going to be a movie set about 9-11. And uh, Ralph Fiennes is going to be playing Michael Jackson. And it's about a car ride that actually took place between Marlon Brando, Michael Jackson, and Elizabeth Taylor and to say that this is causing a stir. Okay. 
So it's it's Joseph Fines, not Rafe Fines. Oh, right? I'm sorry. Okay. The brothers. Joseph Fines, aka Shakespeare in Love. Right. Yes, uh, I apologize. Yeah. That's right. If it had been Rafe Fines, I would have said, okay, that kind of makes sense because he already played a guy with pasty skin and no nose on Harry Potter. Right. In the Harry Potter movie. So, uh, so if anything, he's playing a more human-like character as as Michael Jackson. But uh, no, it's Joseph Fines, who I liked a lot in uh, Shakespeare in Love. Is is so the idea is that uh, only a only an African American actor could accurately portray the um, looking Michael Jackson. Is that it? Well, it's just like well, it's freaking people out because it's weird because not only is he white but he's also British, and again it goes back to that whole you know Oscar so British thing. Like we have a working as Al Roker said earlier this week, we do have working you know American actors here that can do these things. <laughs> Um, I, I think that no, we don't. I know. I, I think that one of the things that troubles people is yes, Michael Jackson was black, but he claimed to have vitiligo, which means that he had turned white. So you can't put a like. Do you put a black actor in there? I really don't know how you creatively make that decision because how yeah. do you recreate Michael Jackson? I, I was going to say even if you had cast an African American actor. You probably would have had to put a white, a lot of white face on them. If they had cast Cuba Gooding Jr., we could have had this whole conversation go circle. <laughs> exactly. Two right? segments in for a row. Who, for those of you who suspect that the uh, casting directors are drinking, we have a drunk texting app that we will be discussing in the next segment right after this. It really is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Introducing our new grilled chicken. Hungry for more? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And there's a new drunk texting app designed, now hitting the market, designed to save you from your own bad judgment and reckless fingers when you've had a little bit too much. Uh, Mickey, do you find yourself troubled by the, the problem of drunk texting often? Not so much as I've aged, but it still does happen on occasion. But how many times have you had that conversation with someone where you're like, I wish there was a breathalyzer on my phone? Because someone sent you a text, and, and maybe it's a girl thing, but you know, you get a text from one of your girlfriends, and you're like, "Oh yeah, well," and oh really? And send, and you know, and then exclamation point, exclamation point, you know, etc. And you know, and then the next morning you wake up, you're like, "Oh, did not mean to send that." Um, sorry about that. Didn't mean to call your mom that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know what else um, makes it difficult but, is that the guys in Cupertino on my Apple phone, they program dirty words to come in on autocorrect. <laughs> so if you're not paying attention, nice. you can type the worst possible things to your own grandmother. I mean, you really have to look. And if you're drunk, of course, you're not paying attention. So Exactly. Well, and of course, the worst is those that are texting or drunk texting NX. I mean, there's really nothing worse than, you know, someone who's drunk, they've got their phone out, you're at the bar, it's the worst. They're hiked up in the corner like, what are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> nothing. Are, are, the, and, are the drunk texts, I miss you, I love you? We yeah, yeah. It's either like, I miss you, like, I love you, or like, you. meet me in my place in a half hour. You know, Booty one of the call. two. Booty call. Yeah, one of the two. You know, I miss you, I love you, I'm sorry, or... Can you meet me at my place? Either way, what's beautiful about this app is that when you log in, 
it's not a breathalyzer yet, which still would be super cool. Um, but when you log in, it tests you. If you can't answer like basic math questions and things like that or spell basic words, you don't get to text anybody. It locks you out of your text. And I think this is genius. I just want them to expand it to all things. Like I need that expanded mostly to my Twitter account. But I would like it expanded to emails, Facebook, any type of uploading of photos um, to the interwebs, that type of thing. See, I am surprised by how prevalent this problem is. And before anyone starts thinking I'm being, you know, Mr. Ward Cleaver, goody two shoes. <laughs> uh, Mickey, as you, as you read in Heavy Lifting, uh, in the fall of 1997, I didn't have a blood alcohol level. I had an alcohol blood level. That's right. Um, I mean, there was there was a time in my life where you know that that fall I was you know I was twenty one I was legal I could drink whatever I wanted to you and like, I drank you know, whatever blood I wanted. Your alcohol is what he's Irish, you folks. Know, I, he's Irish. But I didn't have a cell phone at that time, so all the trouble I got into was because of my own personal interaction right then and there. There was no technology involved, and that was plenty plenty of trouble as, as is. Um, but here's the thing: when you're drunk, your motor skills are impaired, right? I feel like the buttons on my phone are small enough when I'm sober. <laughs> you know, when you say your messaging is going to be do 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 do, I've gotten those messages from you, Mickey, and they just say D O O O T. Like, what what does this mean? It's you know. Um, so I, I'm kind of surprised that the, the scourge of drunk texting is as common as it is compared to say just like incoherent drunk texting. Of, you know, somebody's just been praying ASDFGH, you know, just going across their keyboard. And, yeah, again, you know, I want a lot of fingers at once. Because, and, and I go back to thoughts of having clients that felt that I was on call to them 24 hours a day mm. because, in fact, I was on call to them 24 hours a day. <laughs> and that they would contact me or text me or want me for one reason or another. And it might be, you know, nine o'clock on a Friday night. And so I might have already had a couple drinks and I might, you know, have to respond to that email anyway. It would have been great if someone, you know, like my phone stepped in and stopped me. That's all I'm saying, you know, because suddenly, you know, you go from, oh, we can work this out on Monday and thanks so much for your concern and, you know, continuous gratitude and blah, blah, blah. And we'll look into the numbers. No, suddenly writing back like, do you know that it is nine o'clock on a Friday and you are asking me about this nonsense? Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) And that's not the best thing to send out to your clients. uh, Wait a second, Mickey. Now, are you sending that because you're making air quotes as I say this drunk or are you saying that because you really can't believe they're they're emailing you or texting you at nine o'clock on a Saturday? Look, that was a, that was just an example. That is not something that I ever did with any of my clients per se. But no, there were times that, that I that I definitely had to email them after I had been imbibing, if you will, and I know that the tone was probably off. Um, I know that my tone is sometimes off when texting with my friends. Lord knows I have come home and gotten on social media, uploaded pictures, tweeted things out, said things to people, et cetera, that the next morning you wake up and you're looking and you're like, I, that made so much more sense whenever I was thinking it last night than it does right now. So imagine that, you know, you're basically, you'd be able to lock down your entire phone, not just your text. Like we've gone beyond texting now. Now we need to be protected from ourselves, (laughs) from the entire internet. 
in my see, opinion. See, I have see, two thoughts come to mind in response to that assessment, Mickey. One being that, one, how much of, of you know, drunk actions are simply, I want to do these actions and I simply need plausible deniability for later. <laughs> in other words, if but you tell somebody, oh, oh, it was the booze talking. Oh, you know, I don't know what I was saying there when I, you know. Well, this takes away that excuse. Yeah, and that's the thing is that people want to have that excuse. They need I that don't excuse. think they do. I, I have seen the repercussions of of women, <laughs> grown, strong, career women, <laughs> after a night out and suddenly realizing that they had been texting with their ex ridiculous things all <laughs> evening uh, I those, would say that they would have preferred... Uh, to have been locked out of their phone. I mean, I, I had a girlfriend at one point that I had to physically take her phone from her. Like, no, you're not allowed to. And this obviously led to fighting and, you know, wrestling sometimes, etc. But it was the in an attempt to keep her from, like, losing all dignity, right? And also respect. Nothing, nothing says dignity like wrestling over a phone on the floor of a bar. Like, Look, if it keeps her from sending pictures of her hoo-hoo, to her ex, like I'm in. So the idea of where it wouldn't be me wrestling her to the ground, but instead her phone itself would just lock her out because she wouldn't be able to spell her own name, then we wouldn't have had the wrestling in the bar fight. That's actually I, I, pretty I, sound advice. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it made, it's like perfect sense to me. I think it's genius. I think this is brilliant. I can't believe it's taken so long. In fact, in the movie, um, the internship, with uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, mm. where they work for Google, right. I believe it Apple is. Apple or something, some tech yeah, company. Yeah, something like that, yeah. some kind of tech group. They actually create an app in the movie um, that does this. And so now they've actually brought that into reality. So talk about life imitating art, et cetera. Now, Jim, you, of course, the more responsible of the two of us, so you probably have less interest or need. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, one, look, grown-up hood, parenthood, et cetera, my opportunities to imbibe to excess go from, you know, perhaps a once-weekly standard to maybe once every couple of months. Um, but even then, when I'm, when I'm in that circumstance, I very rarely find myself reaching to the phone, reaching to text, uh, reaching to be on Twitter, you know, and, and I'm sure, like, at this point, there's some listeners who are saying, wait a minute, Garrett, he's sober when he, ta- when he sends Christ <laughs> listening to Twitter? No, he's not, um, he's, what he said was he wasn't drunk. And, that's and there's a, good a point. difference. That's a good point. There's that kind of, you know, particularly when they're live, live tweeting the debates. And stuff. I'm not suggesting, like, you have to be wasted necessarily, but, you know, you've eased up a bit, little, you know, again, mm. inhibitions are down. I, okay, I have long suggested, and maybe this, this drunk texting app could kind of, the developers of this could work on this kind of program. We need sort of a mini EMP, electromagnetic pulse, something <laughs> that will kind of wipe all of our, our social media and email and all that kind of stuff so that anybody you don't want to deal with anymore. Oh, remember the EMP? I lost your address. <laughs> oh, oh I'm, not yeah. I'm not following you on Twitter anymore. Oh, it must have been must have been from the EMP or something. We need some giant tech excuse to detach from the people in our lives we don't want to deal with anymore, but we don't want to have to deal with the drama of telling them that we don't want to deal with them anymore. And there so we should need be this two categories: universal tech scapegoat to there kind of wipe out an, uh, you know, an app to keep you from talking to your ex, and an app to keep you from writing on Twitter. I think those are two different problems. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt. <laughs> I have a tendency to come home and, 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 and because when we go out, it's very difficult for me to get a alcoholic beverage 
that doesn't have caffeine in it. So I have to get like Diet Coke instead of Diet Caffeine or whatever. So we'll come home a lot of times. And even if I've had, you know, a couple drinks, I'm pretty much a lightweight these days. I will have, you know, a nice little, we'll call it a buzz going. And, you know, Mr. Bias has passed out. So I'm like, okay. And so then I go to Twitter and immediately someone, I, I, re, the, I mean, the, the minute I say I go to Twitter, you know what happens. You read something that you're like, oh, I cannot believe someone just said that. And then you're suddenly like, ba 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 ba. And again, like I said, just type, 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 type. You're arguing with an egg. Exactly. You're arguing with an egg and you have no idea why. And you realize, like, I'm not even making any sense anymore. I need to go to bed. But, you know, again, for me, I'm psyched. I think that it's a really cool idea. I think that let's hope that they expand this to more things outside of just text. So hopefully I can protect myself from the internet and you can too, if you're not Jim Garrity. Um, as you know, I am uh, Mickey White. You're listening to the Jim and Mickey show. And we're going to be right back talking about um, kind of the fitness craze gone even crazier. He's a demolition demon in a beat up Chevrolet. It ain't worth a dollar. So he wrecks it every day. You jack wagon. Everyone asks. Corinthian leather. Of course, why not the best? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And uh, we were just getting into the crazy fitness situation. Um, We've talked about a couple different things on the show. You know, the dancing in the dark and the different types of new fitness fads that are out there. And it's really that time of year, in my opinion, when uh, people start to give up on all of the resolutions that they had at the beginning of the year. Am I incorrect, Jim? I was going to say, you wanted to take up jogging, and then two feet of snow fell. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, it, 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 Let's just face it, it, we are where we are. And quite frankly, I have had cabin fever like a crazy person, and I've been watching a lot of TV. So you're going to hear a lot about that this week. But one of the shows that had caught my attention in the fall was a show called My 600-Pound Life. And it starts out by talking about and showing you someone who's at least 600 pounds. Now, some of these people are upwards of 700 pounds. And they show them a 12-month period working with a doctor. Most of them get the gastric bypass surgery. Um, and, and where they get to at the end of the 12-month period. In the fall, a lot of them seem to be getting to their goal weights and getting the skin surgery, which is what is absolutely necessary. And I'll get to that in a second. But this season, it seems like it's taking them longer. Um, they're taking longer time to lose the weight. Some of the cases because they're using larger people. Um, so there's another show that's out called Skin Tight. Now, Skin Tight follows 600 Pound Life. And 600 Pound Life, in watching it, you find yourself either cheering for the person who's trying to lose the weight or wanting to punch them in the head. <laughs> One of the two. Like, throat punches sometimes seem necessary in this case. Because you're, you're like, how, you know, one, it's very hard. To, you understand how they got there after hearing their emotional stories. It's always emotional that gets the weight on. But it's when they get to the, you know, some of them, their attitude is why they can't lose it. Like those that cross over and, and you know, want to make a change in their life and in their attitude, you see that change happening. And I think for me, that's why I enjoy it 
is I like to see that transformation, not just physically, but emotionally. But again, the most important thing is at the end of this, if you've lost 300 pounds in a year, you've got skin that just hangs there. I was going to say, I wonder how many guys click through the channels, see the listing entitled Skin Tight. Right. Ooh, that sounds Ooh. interesting. And then they turn on. Ah! Oh. Exactly, because in Skin Tight, what they do with Skin Tight is these are not necessarily people that have been on 600-pound life. These are just people that have, for again, one way or another, lost a significant amount of weight and have a significant amount of extra skin. And they go to a plastic surgeon and get, in some cases, a total body lift. And in some cases, removing like 30, 40 pounds of skin. It was just okay, hanging I there. I have so a imagine, really bizarre question, Mickey. Okay. What do they do with the extra skin? Uh, I don't know. I assume they give it to skin grafts and things like that. I, I was about to say, I'd like to think they'd be burnt. You know, like, that I, I seems like a really important thing. To wa- you wouldn't want to waste that. There's got to no, be somebody no, they, they somewhere. Save it. Who they definitely save it. But I'm guessing it's for like skin grafts or things like that. But think about it. Say you've lost like 300, to even 200 pounds. You've lost 200 pounds and you still can't wear like cute little outfits because you've got like 50 pounds of skin just hanging there. I, I'm going to choose not to think about Me that. Me too. See, right? Okay, well, skin tight fixes that. Like skin tight, it doesn't happen to everybody. Some people like apparently their skin is more elastic, et cetera, but – yeah, you know, skin tight. They go in, they do the lift, they lift them all up, and and at the end, of course, they you know they look like absolutely amazing, absolutely it amazing, is, and their hard work has finally paid off. And in then, the field, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish your point. No, it, it it's really it's just it's one of those things where it's 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 almost like you have that starting ending point of where here's this person who at the very beginning has already lost more weight than most people would ever dream of trying to lose. <laughs> Some of these people have lost more weight than people have. Right, exactly. <laughs> They've lost a person, yes. And um, they still feel uncomfortable about their bodies because of, the you know, again, the, this excess skin, et cetera, and seeing them go through their transformation is also gratifying for seems me. Seems to me end. that the best thing to lose is your discomfort over your body. I'm a guy that just says, I don't care what you think. I'm taking my shirt off. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and in some of these cases, I mean, it's pretty severe and you feel bad for them, especially if they've lost a significant amount of weight because they expected, you know, they'd look like a sud and then not so much. But probably the weirdest one that I came across. Wait, we haven't got one okay. yet? No, we haven't gotten to the weird one yet. These are the normal ones? Carry on. <laughs> These are the normal ones. The weird one, to me, is called Fit, Fat, Fit. Now, we've had, you know, the competition shows on TV for a while, you know, Biggest Loser and whatever. I see that we're moving a lot of our shows much more into a personal direction, you know, like you're with a personal trainer, extreme weight loss, things like that. Instead of it being a group competition, which I prefer, I think it is a personal thing much more than like a group journey. But in Fit, Fat, Fit, they you always, with all of these shows actually, you see the trainer show up and he's buff and he's fit or she's, you know, ripped to shreds. And she's like, I've had nine kids. And he's like, you know, I've, you know, never not worked out a day in my life. And they're working with people who are extremely overweight and the people who are overweight, you can see, want to punch them in the face. Well, in Fit, Fat, Fit, 
the trainer actually chooses to gain weight over a period of time. Um, the episode I saw, he had to gain 60 pounds over four months. And then he was then considered, quote, fat. And so the two of them had to work out together to lose the weight. Yeah, you heard me. Okay, yeah, all right. So this is the idea is that the trainer learns to, oh, it's really hard to lose weight? Or, or what, what is like? Is there like a... Dude, what, is this, I told you it was the weirdest one, didn't I? It's the trainer losing weight with the customer so that the customer feels like he's got someone to do it with? Is that, is that- yes, theoretically, that's the idea, is that, you know, these trainers are willing to do this damage to their body in order to feel the pain. I feel of, your pain. Yeah, of the, you know, of, of their client. You know, Mickey, would you concur, concur that uh, The Biggest Loser is kind of the, the reigning champion of the weight loss shows? Uh, yeah, probably. I, I, I think so. I, I, I don't say, watch I, it, I, but I think it probably is. Okay, maybe, maybe just by, by virtue of being on network television. But I've, I've always kind of, you know, I, I've watched it once or twice, and it kind of, you know, kind of irks me that, my understanding is that the contestants on the show go off to some camp and basically like eat healthy and working out is all that they do. Mm-hmm. They're away from their families and they talk about how they're doing this for their families and how much they miss their families. But I'm trying to think of a less realistic uh, set of circumstances for someone trying to lose weight than to go off to a fat camp and, and actually lose the weight for you know, X number of months. Right. I mean, and they say, oh, people, you know, and then they, they leave the show and they put it back on. Well, of course, because they were living in fat camp or they were exercising all day long, right? I mean, right. For, oh, one, for, of the, one of the shows I love is Extreme, Make, or Extreme Weight Loss. It's actually Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition because, you know, it's ABC. They always have the weird whatever edition. Um, but the guy, the trainer there actually goes and lives with them in their house for the first part and mm. cleans out all of their junk. Like he takes them for a week out to, you know, make sure the doctors see them, weigh them in, all of that good stuff, you know, all the drama. They get with their nutritionist, you know, make sure that, you know, they're on the right medications, etc. While that happens, he changes over their kitchen so that it's completely, like, new and filled with the food they're supposed to be eating. He takes, <laughs> excuse me, he takes out all of their furniture and replaces it with exercise equipment. <laughs> And then he lives with them for like three months and, uh, and, and then, you know, they're on their own for three months they, and it keeps coming back to you and they have, you know, little challenges with, within and without, but you're absolutely right. The key part, and that's why I like the way this one is done is that he kind of, you know, obviously shows them how it's done, but then you're absolutely right. It's easy to do it if you're in a camp where everybody's feeding you good food, making you exercise and you have no other stress in the world, but to think about doing whatever it is they tell you to do. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, you know, it's good to know that even the toughest cases can lose weight once they have the, the resources of an entire television network behind them. <laughs> so why hasn't <laughs> Donald Trump lost weight? Completely new furniture. We're going to completely change your diet. The ABC is going to pick up the tab to do everything conceivably possible to make you healthier. Well, in that case, if you can't do it under those circumstances, you're never going to be able to do it. But... Uh, uh, you know, so yay, I suppose. Um, as much as we're having a lot of fun on this program, in just a few moments, Mickey will give us an important update on the national crisis of coyote drug abuse right after this. <laughs> I wish I knew how to quit you. You make me want to be a better man. 
Hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Ask how he can help you get better mileage with quality Texaco products and by practicing good maintenance. He also has fine Texaco gasolines, including lead-free Texaco, all with protective and detergent additives. So let your independent Texaco retailer help you get the most out of every gallon of gasoline you use. At Texaco, we're working to keep your trust. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. Today, the country is at a crossroads discussing serious issues of national security and the economy. But who is willing to address the serious drug problem amongst America's coyotes? And no, we're not talking about people smugglers. Uh Mickey, give us an update on the terrible trend of America's drug-addicted coyotes. Well, I I honestly thought you were going to open the segment and suggest with all of these tragedies going on and the one link that I send you this morning is about the high coyotes that are chasing cars down the road. <laughs> Look, does this is it time for drug legalization? Is is it is, uh, <laughs> safe to say the war on drug uh, drug addicted coyotes is a failure and it's well, time to get the coyotes into treatment centers? We may have to open a a coyote rehab to help them out with their shroom addiction. Apparently, um, there are coyotes in the West that have been out eating mushrooms, um, hallucinogenic mushrooms and possibly peyote, and chasing down cars. And uh, so, yes, we, we need to now start probably a new foundation, rehab for the coyotes. <laughs> Stop the mushrooms. You know, Mickey, at least with this problem, we will finally get an answer to the question, what does the coyote do when he catches the car? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to wonder if he licks the window and says, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. (laughs) You know, I was wondering, would Mickey do an impression of a drug-addicted coyote in this episode? And the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) She just did. This puts uh, Carlos Castaneda back in the front page of the news after 50 years. <laughs> it is absolutely, like I said, it was one of those headlines I couldn't help but share. And of course, like I said, all of that's going on in the world. And that was the first one that caught my eye. Um, but going along with crazy wild animal stories, I did want to give you guys an update. And I did promise our listeners that I would and then didn't on that crazy Fisher cat story that I told you guys about. Mm-hmm. Um, as it, Turns out Mr. Bias comes home and he proceeds to tell some of his clients about this story. And someone says, oh, yeah, yeah, we had this problem. Um, And apparently I want to say it was somewhere like Arkansas, like mountains, that area. And they brought the Fisher cats in to take care of the problem of the beavers. And then they started obviously, you know, going out into the neighborhoods so guess what the government decided to bring in next? What, what catches a fisher cat? A fisher dog? Well, we discussed the best possible thing would be a gun, right? Because mm-hmm. then we just take care of the situation. No. Apparently, they decided to bring in bobcats. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and when the bobcats get out of control, our plan is to bring in velociraptors. Well, that's the thing. Like, where do we go? Like, oh, my God. Or you could have just shot the beavers in the first place. <laughs> I, 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 I am missing. I'm missing something here. You know, it's Ooh, like. 
It's like, we have a problem with beavers. Let's bring in the fisher cat. We have a problem with fisher cats. Let's bring in bobcats. We have a problem with bobcats. Let's bring in grizzly bears. That's genius. <laughs> yeah, let's bring those in. And we're, forget- we're next trying the Ebola virus. We'll right. see what I mean, Yeah, exactly. That. I mean, honest <laughs> to God, it's like you would think reading some of these headlines and some of the things that happened that, in fact, we're still living in the times of, you know, 1930s, 1920s, and they're doing weird, crazy experiments because, like, or you could trap them and move them or you could just kill them or whatever. But no, let's continue to just keep going with this. And the same people that would say, you know what we should do? Introduce Fisher cats are the same people who would then be like, you don't need to have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they uh, were wrong. They would be exceptionally wrong about that. (laughs) All these years, I had no idea that the slogan at the fish and wildlife services Hey, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently that is it. And 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 again, I, I felt the need to update you all and to update the listeners. And uh, I definitely want to thank you um, all for listening as our numbers have continued to grow, having some really big weeks, um, both on our SoundCloud page, on our iTunes page. Um, on Spreaker as well, and all of the other outlets that you listen to. Um, thank you so much for supporting the show and supporting us. And as I said, changes are coming, and they will be good, hopefully. Um, you're going to see Jim and I, if you're heading out to uh, CPAC coming up shortly. Um, that's the beginning of March. We're both going to be there, so please do come say hi. And uh, next week, we are going to be talking about the Super Bowl. Dun, dun, dun. This is Mickey White. I'm here with Jim Garrity and our producer, Dave Perkins. You've been listening to the Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be back next week.
you just can't.